Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. The story of teenager Anne Lovett, who concealed her pregnancy and died shortly after giving birth alone in a grotto, is a defining tragedy of 1980s Ireland. The facts around the death of Anne from Granard, County Longford, and her sister Tricia, who took her own life just three months later, were cloaked in silence for decades. In a series of reports for the Irish Times, senior features writer Rosita Boland has cast some light on what happened back then, speaking to the Lovett's friends, Anne's boyfriend, and the people of Granard. Well, those who were willing to talk. Now Rosita has written about another side of Anne and Tricia Lovett, an intelligent, warm and witty side that is revealed in the letters, notes and cards they wrote to their friends in the months before their tragic deaths. This is a letter from Anne to Belinda and it's written sometime over Christmas 1983. Hi Belinda, thanks for the letter. It was nice. I'm in a bit of a rush so don't worry if you can't read it. I hope you do well in the Xmas exams and we'll prove to them that we can do it. We'll go to the fountain at Christmas and enjoy ourselves. She signs off the letter, lots of love, Anne, and underneath, roll on, 84. We better wait for Christmas first. And we'll enjoy it anyway, that's for sure. See ya, Aries forever. Anne died on the 31st of January, 1984. This is in the news from the Irish Times. I'm Bernice Harrison. Today, the last letters of the Lovett sisters. Rosita, these are the four people we'll be talking about today. Anne Lovett and her sister Patricia, known as Tricia, who both died in 1984. Anne was 15 and Tricia was 14. And their friends, also sisters, Belinda and Carrie Lee, all four lived in Granard. The Lees and the Lovets attended different schools, but would keep up their friendship by writing letters, cards and notes to one another. And now you've been permitted to share some of those, which you did in an article in the Irish Times. We've just heard one letter in the introduction. It's very poignant, isn't it, to read these notes and think of the tragedy that these poor girls were living through. Well, first of all, I think it's an amazing tribute to the friendship that the two sets of sisters had that Belinda and Carrie 
uh, kept these notes and cards for almost 40 years and they treasure them. Each sister has the cards and letters and notes that were intended to them. And for the purpose of this interview, when I talked to Belinda, Carrie also shared her correspondence and I read through the entire correspondence and I suppose pulled out those notes and cards and letters which I thought told the most about what was going on at the time. Obviously there was a lot of, you know, day-to-day things, feelings, uh, you know, about school and homework and boys and all the things that teenage girls uh, talk to each other about. And I think it's particularly remarkable that when you look at the letters and notes that Anne was writing in the weeks and months up to her death is how ordinary and unremarkable they are. And, you know, there's one note that was found in her school bag, which was at the grotto and which had been wet and which Mrs. Lovett, who was also called Patricia, she dried out and she gave it to Belinda some time later. And it was dated quarter past three Monday and Anne died on a Tuesday. I've just dodged PE and I'm sitting in the library on top of the heater, roasting myself. I was frozen. Anyway, what's the crack like at your end? I'm pretty pissed off here. Just one more class to go, home economics, then freedom. This is my third free class this evening. Is it any wonder I'm bored? How's name of a boy? Only slagging. Or maybe it should be taken seriously. Pity about name of a girl and her boyfriend. Well, at least I got my night out, set for Saturday night. But knowing me, I probably won't go. Anyway, I hope it all turns out the way you want it to. I better go. Teacher's coming. See ya. Love, Anne. When you look at the impact of that, you realise she dodged PE because she was nine months pregnant. She would not have been able to put on her... PE outfit and had been apparently dodging PE for months. Rosita, what did you think when you first read that? Well, when I first saw these notes and letters and cards sitting in Belinda Lee's kitchen, it collectively and individually, they just had an extraordinary punch to my gut, I suppose, really, because there's something about the physicality of seeing uh, handwriting and, you know, this yellowing sellotape and these nicknames that the girls had for each other. And just the just the I suppose the, the physicality of it, the r- reminders of who they were and the contents of the notes and the letters I found just incredibly moving. And I suppose when you take them all together, they're just really just terribly, terribly sad, but also they give us a sense of, a bit of a sense of what these girls were like and how they expressed themselves and what they were interested in. And, you know, it's 40 years ago, but they were engaged in the same things as teenage girls are today, you know, in 2023, you know, teachers, homework, boys, fights, smoking, (laughs) you know, They were teenage girls and they're hopefully through their words, 
you know, we see them again as as teenage girls and not not just as two figures of tragedy. Now, when Anne wrote that Christmas note to her pal Belinda, she was heavily pregnant. I mean, she was well over eight months pregnant. Belinda was a good friend of hers. They saw each other all the time. Did she know that Anne was pregnant by that time? No, she didn't know, and neither did Carrie. Anne never confided in them, and she remains puzzled to this day why Anne didn't confide in her, given that they were such close friends. So Belinda was the same age as as uh, Anne. She was also 15, and as she said to me, you just don't expect your 15-year-old friend to be pregnant. She said, I wasn't looking for anything Baggy clothes were the fashion at the time and Anne wore baggy trousers and jumpers and the last time she saw Anne alive was three days before she died. They had this habit of crimping each other's hairs, which basically was doing tons and tons and tons of little plaits, which you left in for a night and then you um, took them out in the morning. I remember doing that. Did you do that? I have curly hair anyway, (laughs) so I wanted less curly hair, not more So she had come to have her hair plaited by Belinda just on the Saturday, three days before she died, and noticed nothing. Now, this is the third in a series of articles you've written about the story of Anne Lovett. It's a story that I think many of us will know at least something about. But for those who don't, can you take us back to 1984 and remind us of what's known about the circumstances of the teenager's death? Well, Anne Lovett died on the 31st of January in 1984. She died in Mullingar Hospital. Earlier that day, she had given birth to a stillborn boy called Patrick at the grotto in Granard, County Longford. And it was claimed that neither family nor people in her school, her teachers, they all denied knowledge of her pregnancy, even though it was a full-term pregnancy. It it just has elements of the gothic to it. A young girl on a winter's afternoon uh, giving birth to a baby that people said they had no idea of the existence of. And then she herself dies later that evening in hospital. It's a, a horrific tragedy. And we mustn't ever forget that it was also a horrendous tragedy for her family. Less than three months later, her younger sister, Patricia, who was known as Tricia, uh, she died by suicide. She took an overdose of tablets. So two sisters from the same family were dead within the first four months of 1984, which was obviously just the most horrific situation for any family to have to deal with. And then, of course, it was a wider tragedy for the town, uh, the people who lived there and all their friends. And Carrie and Belinda, who had been very close friends of the Lovett sisters, they were obviously devastated. And we have to remember that there was none of the support back in the 1980s for bereaved children as there is today, as we've, we've seen just from the last couple of weeks on the very sad deaths of those two young boys on EOS, there was a whole support network available to them and their school opened and there was lots of counselling and parents went over and it's a, it is as it should be, but none of that existed for traumatised and bereaved teenagers um, of school friends back in the 1980s. 
I think uh, what the letters do, Rosita, is they paint they paint a picture of what it was like to grow up in a small town in Ireland in the 1980s. What was teenage life like for the four girls? Well, Granard is a small town and the main street is really pretty much, it's not the only street, but it's the street where all of the businesses were and where the young people went. They went to a couple of places. Um, they went to Phil Smith's, which was a pub, but he let them in to pay pool in the back room. And then they went to a place called the pool room. And this was, it had a pool table, it had Pac-Man machine, a Space Invaders machine. And they also hung out at the Chipper, which was owned by Belinda and Carrie's uh, uncle, Connie Lee, and the Lee sisters worked there on Saturdays. So they were kind of their their hangout places. Um, and it's at this place they call the pool room that they they would meet every day and swap their notes that they used to write them in free classes. And, you know, they love music. So they were always, they subscribed to Jackie. So in their notes, they were always like sticking pictures of bands onto their notes and names. And they had nicknames for each other. Uh, Belinda was called Jez after Jez Stroud, who was the drummer in the band Kachagugu at the time. Um, so that was her nickname. And then uh, that was Belinda. And then Trish, Trisha's was Sid because she was... Um, very fond of Sid Vicious. We've also published letters in that same article written by Anne's younger sister, Tricia, who took her own life three months after Anne's death. I think Tricia is less known than Anne. I think her name is much less known. One of these letters is almost unbearably sad. It's written by Tricia to her friend Carrie Lee after Anne's death. Anyway, Carrie, it's all right to remember. I do that when I'm on my own as well, every night in bed. You're lucky you don't have to go to bed in an empty room with a wall full of fantastic drawings beside you. Oh well, there I go, moaning again. You know, most of the time I cry for Anne, I cry for myself because I miss her so much, but she's happy now and I'm not, and nor are a lot of people over her. I'm crying because she didn't give me a chance to love her before she died. I tried. I really did. You know that. And I didn't try because I knew she was going to die, but because I needed her. I need her now. I used to lie in bed when she was alive and I used to cry because I needed her. I used to say to myself, I'm going to talk to her tomorrow. I would. Sometimes she'd even answer. Now I lie in bed knowing I need her and knowing I can't talk to her. Or I can talk to her, but I can't see her, or it's hard to explain. But when I cry in bed now, nothing, nothing is there but an empty bed and Snoopy clutched in my arms. What is so sad, Rosita, is how even in the context of the tragedy she was going through, losing her sister, massive media attention on Granard and the Lovett family, this is still recognisably a letter written by a teenage girl, but also mixed with such sadness and what we'd call now, I suppose, emotional intelligence. That shines through. She was only 14 writing that. And the thing is that the, the sisters, Anne and Tricia, they, they shared a room and the drawings that Tricia is referring to were Anne's side of the room. There was a wooden partition wall which was unpainted or unpapered and Anne had had drawn uh, directly onto this with 
in charcoal with lots of drawings. So that's what Trisha is referring to. But the two sisters had had a falling out, which was apparently initiated by Anne in some months before her death. Um, Belinda and Carrie never got a reason as to why the sisters had fallen out. Um, Anne wouldn't talk to Trisha, even though they share the same room. I was trying to find out how long before Anne died they had started to fall out because I was wondering, did it perhaps coincide with when she knew she was pregnant and did not want to tell Trisha and just wanted to keep her sister at bay, particularly when they shared a room? Um, I don't know the answer to that. So Trisha was even more uh, traumatised after Anne's death because they hadn't been talking to each other, but she did get into the ambulance with her and held her hand before she went off to Mullingar and told her that, you know, she loved her and she kept asking Belinda and Carrie afterwards, do you think she heard me? Do you think she heard me saying that I loved her? And she also told the sisters that uh, the night before Anne died and given that they had not been speaking for months, she was woken up in the middle of the night by Anne groaning. She was crawling around the floor of their bedroom on her hands and knees and she was clearly, as we now know, in labour at the time. And Trish asked her, was she all right and what was wrong? And Anne just said um, she was okay and just to go back to bed. But, you know, she was in such pain that she woke up Trisha and then Trisha afterwards felt really guilty. Maybe I should have said something. I should have told someone. I didn't know. And it was just a really very difficult, awful, awful time for her. And she was only 14. She was just a kid herself. In your reporting, it comes through throughout the reporting in 2018 as well. It comes through very strongly that a lot of people have been, you know, they've been uncomfortable talking about this in Granard, about who in Granard knew about Anne's pregnancy, when they knew it, and then the time after her death. Do you think that that sense of sort of collective silence, reticence, whatever you want to call it, do you think that's been lifted? Well, I can't speak for the the people of Granard and uh, no town likes to be associated with a a tragedy um, no matter how long ago it was particularly one that keeps you know emerging and surfacing in the media how it came about that people started talking to me was really it was a process so the first the first story I wrote was a reconstruction of Anne Lovett's last day and I did that by going back to regional and national newspapers of the time in the 1980s and looking at all the contemporaneous reporting. Obviously, there was nothing around her death or her funeral, but there was around the inquest. But I had my email address at the end of the piece. And as a result of that, I was then contacted by somebody who knew Ricky MacDonald, Anne's former boyfriend, and said, he may perhaps be ready to talk to you now. So then that began a whole process of conversation and trust, I suppose, which went on over some weeks. And he decided that he would go on the record and that he would talk to me. And then out of that piece has come this piece of talking to the Lee sisters and being given the correspondence. So it all started from, you know, a piece of uh, 
reporting that maybe to some people didn't look like it was ever going to go anywhere, but it has been a process. I think there's a, a sense of you kind of prizing this story open and, and letting the light in. Do you feel that there are people out there who know more about what happened to the Lovett sisters and who've yet to speak? Yes. And so that means that I suppose you, from all your research, you feel that there are questions that have still to be answered. Are there any specific questions that you feel are still to be answered? I'm surprised that I've never been contacted by any of the teachers from Anne's school. The principal, Sister Maria Plunkett, made a public statement and said that no one on the staff knew that Anne was pregnant. But I know that that is not so because I have been told that some of the teachers did know. So there is that element to it. I've also, I've heard from various sources that there was knowledge of her pregnancy. And I don't know why those people have kept silent all that time. Perhaps it's shame, perhaps it's guilt. I don't know. I can't, uh, I can't answer for people who, you know, haven't spoken so far. But this is, it's not just a tragedy of one family or one town. It's a, it's a, a national story and a, a, a scandal that I think that we need to understand more about how it happened and understand a bit more about our past and how and why things happened. And it could have happened, it just happened in Granard, but I do think it could have happened in any town in Ireland. And when I was doing some research for another story uh, at some point a couple of years ago, I uh, did a piece on uh, 1984 Ireland and I went through the front pages of the Irish Times for a year to see what was on the front pages um, of our newspaper for a year. And just by looking at the front pages alone, there were reports of maybe five babies that had been found dead, abandoned, one in a hedge in Phoenix Park, two in a river somewhere. Their parents, mothers, were never discovered, they never came forward. We don't know the identities of any of those people. Like that in one year are evidence of other concealed pregnancies. And those are all stories that have never been told. And we don't know what happened there. I suppose by trying to understand more about what happened in Granard, we maybe will understand a little bit more about what happened in in other places. Rosita, the heart of this story is the voice of the girls coming through to us 40 years on in their writing, in their notes. So let's just end with one more of the letters. This one is a card. It's from Christmas 1983, written by Tricia Lovett to Belinda Lee. To Jez, lots of love, Sid. Have a wonderful Christmas. Roll on, 84. Here's to another year of playing Space Invaders, dying for a fag, rowing, getting thick and making up. Cheers! Rosita, thanks for talking to us today. Thank you, Bernice. That's it for now. For more on this story, subscribe 
at irishtimes.com forward slash subscribe. I'm Bernice Harrison. This episode is produced by Declan Conlon. In the news, we'll be back soon. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.